Hi, and welcome to Archery Ops Podcast, brought to you by Gold Tip Arrows and Bee Stinger Stabilizers. On each episode, we talk to top experts in archery and bow hunting about what it takes to shoot better and hunt better, target after target, hunt after hunt, shot after shot. I'm your host, Tim Gillingham. Let's roll. All right, Paige, you know, we've had a long history. I want to welcome to uh, Gold Tips Arrow Ops Podcast. It's episode number eight, and I think there's a lot to learn you know, from, from our end and from the people watching us in. So yeah. first of all, I want to welcome you just back from Africa, right? Yeah, I just got back yesterday, late afternoon. Yeah, if you guys don't know, Paige is kind of a world traveler. You know, it's, I don't think she stops traveling, so, but she's young. <laughs> so she can still handle it and she just killed a giraffe. Is that not right? Yeah, I did. A lot Water of people aren't loving that, you know. <laughs> and, you know, people get over it, you know. We tried to discuss like if we thought I should post that or not. And at the end of the day, I just felt like when we keep letting people dictate what we say and what we right. post because of their feelings, that's a really slippery slope. And yeah. so I was like, no, I'm going to post it and I'm going to explain and teach and hopefully open some eyes on how things work over there. Cause it's so different than the U S and so many people don't understand. And so I was like, if nothing else, I want to educate people on why and how that works and so that's kind of the approach i tried to take to it not just like hey i just killed this giraffe it's like i did but here's all this other stuff that you guys probably don't know that explains why sure so the first question i have for you is probably what most people and most women want to know is what does it take to be at the top of the women's pro class uh in the sport of archery and you're there consistently day in and day out um you're doing very well in 3d you're doing very well in field feta indoor i mean it seems like you're the whole package so you know give people a little bit about your history i mean i've known you since you were probably what 10 12 yeah. so you know if you guys don't know Paige, she's been at it since she was knee high to a grasshopper so even though you're what 27 28 28 I'm getting old you know <laughs> she's got a lot of years under her belt uh you know, she's competed at a very high level for a long time and uh, just interested to share her story with you. Yeah. So, I mean, I started shooting literally at like two. My parents shot tournaments all the time and they drug my brother and I around when we were little babies and basically would stand us up, make a shoot, put us back in the stroller and we'd go to the next one. So I don't really remember a time that I wasn't shooting a bow. When I was young, I never planned on this turn into a job. I never thought I'd be a pro archer. You know, I just wanted to be good in my area and we hunted and that was kind of like shot tournaments made you a better hunter. It all kind of made sense. Um, kind of how that changed for me. When I was 10, I broke a state record and that came in the mail and we didn't even really know there were records for archery, like officially. And my mom's like, well, this is really neat. Like, that's cool. Let's start doing some research. So that's actually how we stumbled onto USA Archery and finding those records and then we went to a state tournament like the next year when it popped up. And I was like a bowman at the time, you know, shooting a little kid class. And I broke all five state records. And everyone's like, who are you? You know, because I grew up shooting the Reading style tournaments. So I hadn't done a whole bunch of indoor. I hadn't done FIDA. Um, and that is our 3D of the West Coast, right? Like we don't have the ASA type 3D. We have Reading. And so... Then they were like, wow, you're really good. Like there's nationals in a few weeks. You guys should drive down. It's in LA. And we did. And I broke like 16, I think, national and star feeder records. And then from there, it was just like, holy cow. Like, who are you and where'd you come from? I get this question a lot. How important are my stabilizers? Well, stabilizer is probably one of the most important things on my bow. Its job is to control the motion before, during, and after the shot. That helps us hold steady. It helps hold the bow still while the bow is loading and unloading from full draw to static. And it also controls the bow against our mistakes, so it makes it more forgiving. With Beastinger, you get a lightweight, high modulus bar with vibration dampening built into the bar. This is very critical in terms of getting the most out of your stabilization system. If you want to learn more, check out bstinger.com. And I just remember all these people like trying to coach me. They're like, let me be your coach. Let me be your coach. And I've never had a coach. I was like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Like, what do you mean? And so it just kind of spiraled from there. I uh, went and tried out for the U S team for the first time when I was 13, for the junior world championships. I made that team. I was the youngest person to ever make that team and go. Um, We actually won a team gold medal. That time is pretty cool. And it just kind of just like happened. You know, it was like one thing after another, I just started going and it just, I just did well. And here we are now. 
It was pretty sure. crazy. Sure. And one of one of the things that that we see a lot in the industry, um, you know, is that the the women's you know pay in sports is not the same as men's, and in archery, I you know I personally attribute that to you know women creating value. That's kind of our third question we're going to get into, and 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 you do a very good job of you know you do all your own you know work on your bows, and I and that's what I always encourage parents when they bring kids and and especially girls up to the booth is that you need to take responsibility for yourself. You see so many girls out on the line that, you know, they have a problem and they panic and they're looking for somebody else to fix it. And, you know, that to me is the key fundamental, you know, you can do it. It's not hard. I mean, I was talking to, uh, um, what's Kat's last name? Stiegel. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. that's another girl that is very fluent, man. I was talking to her mm -hmm. and very impressed with, the. Uh, you know, her knowledge on, you know, adjusting holding weight and draw length and all these things that you need to be a top level professional archer. And I just want to throw in there, it would actually amaze you over the years, how many women are like pretty dominant and know nothing. Yeah. Like when I was growing up, I remember a lot of them were that way. And that Jamie was like the very knowledgeable one who like knew her stuff and knew her equipment. And when I was, yeah. And when I was coming up, I mean, my dad did everything for me when I was young. And I remember uh, we went to Yankton, like South Dakota, for a tournament. And they had, it was like three shoots in one. We had like an unknown 3D, we had like a target, and we had a field or something, like all in the same time. So I had multiple setups, all sorts of equipment with me. And it was like, if it could break, it broke on me that week. And my dad wasn't there. It was my mom and my brother and I. And it was like chaos every time something broke, trying to figure out how to fix it. And who could help me? And what do we do? And after that, we went home and my dad was like, you're going to learn and you're going to learn everything. Like I'm not helping you by doing it for you. And right. so I learned that way. And then the bow rack here in Reading, um, when I, I went to college, like my, what would have been my junior year of high school. And so I was still pretty young at that time. And so I had like big gaps in my day between classes. And so I would go in and Anthony would be like, okay, do this, like work on this bow, work on that. So I got exposed a little bit faster like that you know when when we do setups you're only doing so many setups a year so to be quick and fluent and not have any problems like the more you do it the easier it gets and so working in a shop was like the quickest way for me even if it was just volunteer right just hanging out and doing sure. some work as I came in to get better and get faster and see more of the things that can go wrong and how to fix it so I mean I pretty much dove in and I, I wanted to learn everything and what I didn't like is if there was a problem and, and you didn't know why well how do you know how to fix it like right. if you can't identify what's wrong and, and you don't know what's causing that. And so I'm, I mean, just like you, we're both super type A. And I was like, no, I want to know, like, I want to understand, I want to do it myself. And so I started working on all my own stuff and, you know, I, I don't think I ever even planned on knowing as much as I do, right? Like the, the higher and higher I've made it in the sport, the more perfect you have to be at everything you're doing and the more you have to know and the more you have to play with stuff and so yeah so, I've just learned as I went too like I'm willing to tinker and like take the risk of screwing something up and then being able to hopefully put it back and that's sure, part yeah. of it yeah you and I have had several conversations on site leveling year to year and you're arguing with your dad and me and back back forth but eventually <laughs> yeah. you learn eventually you learn I mean I didn't know how to do it the right way the first time but you can't be afraid to make mistakes and you know you you reference the fact that you're very type a but you seem to have an extreme control over your mental game whereas me as a type a person that is my like achilles heel that's the thing mm -hmm. that kills me the most i have always struggled with it indoors especially and you know i attribute that a lot to my personality but you know explain explain to uh everybody kind of you know where you learn to be mentally strong i think i think yeah the way you started out probably had a lot to do with it where you were dominant right out of the gate when you didn't know any better. And yeah. so that builds your self-esteem up that, that really uh, um, sets a foundation for, you know, a lot of success and confidence going forward. But I'm sure you've yeah. hit stumbling blocks where you got in your own way. We all do. Yeah. And you seem to have come up with a very good strategy to, to master that. So, when I was young, I never practiced ever for like years. I don't even want to say young, like until recently when everybody started getting like so good, I really didn't have to practice. But 
when I was 10, I went to Vegas for the first time and I won that in the kid class or whatever. And um, Lanny Basham had a booth there with the winning in mind book. I bought that and I read it out loud in the car on the way home. And to me, that just really resonated with me that I was like, wow, I can see like all these examples and how the mental side really makes a difference and how you think can affect things. And um, I struggled that weekend in Vegas. Like I grew up out here and there weren't that many other good kids. Like I would just destroy them all. And I went to Vegas and after the first day I was tied with someone and I was like, Whoa. And I was like freaking out. And I remember a guy came up to me. He was from Washington, like a local friend. And he's like, Hey, don't be afraid to miss. He's like, you're shooting like you're scared to miss. I'm like, well, I am afraid to miss. And he's like, well, then you're going to freaking miss. And he's like, so don't be afraid to miss and just like shoot your damn bow. And I was like, okay, all right. So that had happened. I read that book and I kind of just dove into the mental side. So I spent the next like lot of years testing different things, doing different things. I read every self-help book you can find in an airport ever. And I would keep a highlighter with me and I would read a whole book and I might find two lines in there that were like valuable things right. to go off of. And I would highlight those and kind of jot them down. And I did tons of visualization and I haven't even told you this. I've told, I've told very, very few people this, but I'm kind of working um, to launch my mental management program. Um, no, it will not be called mental management, but uh my version of that and let's like right. really explain it. And I think I have something that's going to be really, really beneficial for people. Okay. So it's, um, yeah, it just, it takes time, you know, the mental side of it. I think a lot of people are intimidated because it's not like, you know, you change your drawings and you see an instant change. It's like you do all this work and you don't really know if it's helping. Like, is it helping? Is it hurting? Is this a waste of my time? And I think what people need to understand is that every pro athlete in every sport across any venue ever, like does mental work, like the people that are genuinely successful weekend after weekend. And Tim, truthfully, I mean, I've said this to you as dominant as you have been for so many years, the fact that you struggle with your mental game, if you didn't think how freaking scary you would be, because you're already scary and you know, and you admit like openly that you struggle with that. So well, yeah, mental yeah. Game, I got, to a, is everything. Yeah. I got to a point in my career where I just like, you know, I, the, the whole release debate, whether you shoot a surprise shot or not a surprise shot, mm -hmm. it, it just, it really like, uh, ate me up for probably 12 years because yeah. I would, you know, nobody taught me how to shoot archery. So I'm sitting here in the archery range and I'm beating everybody at a local regional level. Nobody can touch me. Right. And I had actually given myself, and I was the guy, I mean, I was standing next to my buddy up in Alaska, and his name's John Bamberg, and he lives down in the, oh, he lives down by the chute in Mississippi, or in, uh, wherever, at Louisiana. Okay. The one we have down there now, but uh, this guy, man, just 25 years ago, he'd stand there at 38 pounds, 26-inch draw, like 25-inch, 26-13s with 110-grain nibs, and he would shoot 60 Xs every single time with a index finger gator jaw release yeah and i'd be like i'd be the guy telling him man you're just not gonna make it unless you're shoot a surprise shot you know because i'd go yeah. to these tournaments like vegas and stuff and i'd get a little jangled and i couldn't put the pin in the middle and and so when i moved down from alaska i gave it two solid years and i shot two 300s in two years and i'm like man this just ain't me this ain't working and i'm, I'm not having fun and i just at the point that i decided what worked for me you have to find what works for you Okay, if you can hold the pin still enough, hey man, if I could, I'd be shooting it just like I do a rifle on a bipod, just a slow squeeze. And some people can, some people can't. Okay, and you should always be struggling, you know, to make your setup aim as well as possible. Because no matter what form you shoot, what style of shot you shoot, and I think some shots work better under some scenarios, like Vegas. Yeah. I really honestly think that that surprise shot might work better for me. Now, Kyle. Yeah. For example, I think has so much control and so because he shoots such a heavy bow, I don't think he sees a lot of motion at all. Yeah. So it's fast motion that causes all the, the jitters and the, exactly. and the jumps and, and every every type of archery has its own demon and you have to learn how to deal with it. So I think what's important, too, is you just said, you know, whatever form you're shooting and whatever shot style you're shooting 
everything in archery is individual to the person. And I think that's what's so hard is everybody always just wants like an answer. Well, what should my form look like? Or how should my bow be set up? Or what should my arrow set up be? Or what should the mental game, what should I be doing for my mental game? And what people need to understand is one, all of our bodies are different. Like look at the two of us sitting here. Like obviously our specs and bodies are drastically different. Then you look at everybody's bodies and how different they are. And everybody's minds are like a hundred times more different, right? Than their bodies are ever going to be. And so when you really start breaking that stuff down, um, I know everyone's always looking at somebody at the top for an answer. And, you know, the first question you asked me, I never really even answered. It was like, what does it take to be a pro woman like at the top? Um, I mean, it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of sacrifices. I mean, there's a lot of things that I miss out on or things in my life maybe didn't go well because I chose archery over them. And I mean, it's tough. It's not easy. Uh, I'm 28. You don't see me with a family because how am I going to do that and do what I'm doing right now? Right? Like there's uh there's a lot that you have to be willing to give up and work through to do what we do. Um, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work. And the difference was, is if I'm struggling with like little things, you know, I'll call you all the time or other people and we all talk and we bounce ideas off of each other. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to put the time in to figure it out for yourself. And that's one of those things where people nowadays rely so heavily on coaches to like fix me, help me. What am I doing wrong? And if you can't identify those things for yourself, you're never going to be good and you're never going to be the best. I can at least right. say that. I, Maybe I, you're I, good, yeah. but you won't be the best. You see that a lot in FIDA, you know, in the, in the yeah. USA archery style, you see a lot of coached archers in I don't think you see as good a performance out of those coached archers because a lot of the coaches are just there be, by default. They're not necessarily the best people for the for the job. It's just they're the available ones. And I think they tend to follow status quo because they don't have a real wide repertoire when it comes to, you know, trying to figure out what's yeah. best for this individual student. So they, or, they or you just see them dominate in that one type of archery because yeah. you don't really have to have sight marks. You don't really have to know your equipment. You stand in one place and shoot arrows all day long and That's you true. can know very little and be pretty good at that. Throw them on an ASA course or throw them on a field course and something goes wrong. And I'm sorry, but like you're without your babysitter there, basically it's not going to go well for you. And so I just didn't want to be that person, you know? Yeah. Um, I saw that growing up. I knew I wanted to be better than that. And value is a, is a big part of that. And when you really look at, and this is a debate, we go back and forth all the time. I hate the word pro. I hate it because it's two words. It's professional and promotional. And the majority of people in archery are promotional, promotional staff, promotional shooters. There's very few people that are professionals that are actually making a living doing yeah. this. It's very but difficult. Want, just, yeah, there's not that much money to go around. No, there's not. But if you want to be someone and use the label professional, how can you call yourself professional at anything if you don't even know your equipment? Like right. if you can't answer questions. So I looked at it like, man, these companies are paying me to sell their products, to represent their brands. And that's not just by winning tournaments. If somebody walks up to me and needs help and I'm like, oh, sorry, I don't know anything about this. My daddy did it for me. Right. Am I really like the best representative of their brand? No. And yeah. I've seen that through women over the years. And I was the first person to tell them, like, I'm sorry, but if you're that person, you don't deserve to be paid like the men. It's it's embarrassing. Like, we should be better than that. Yeah, that's good to hear you say that because, you know, I, I run the national shooting staff for Gold Tip. And what I look for is not necessarily how you perform. I use that as a litmus test to gauge how I feel like you're going to be perceived in a local area because your job is to sell product. Like you said, I mean, if you're not selling product for these, uh, you know, for your manufacturer that you're sponsored by, then you really, if you're not willing to understand that you have to provide a return on their investment and the higher their investment in you, the higher the return has to be from you. So, you know, I, that's kind of what I look for. And I think a lot of people just think about, well, I'm going to national. I don't care, honestly. If you're the number one shooter in your local area and all you do is go to local regional shoots and you win everything, you're going to have a sphere of influence. And it's all about creating yeah. a sphere and of influence. if you know the products, people are going to go to them in those local right. areas saying, hey, what are you doing? How does this work? Can you help me with that? And yeah. someone who's able to answer those questions and engage with people and give that feedback like that's, that's really beneficial. Yeah. I, I remember a, a, a call a couple, well, it was probably five years ago. A guy calls me up, it's on my staff and he's been on staff for like eight years. And he asked me, Hey, what point should I put in 22 series? And, and it was just a bad day. He caught me on. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? 
After eight years, I have to answer that question for you. If I have to answer that question, what good are you to the staff? I don't know if he's ever called me back. <laughs> Probably not. There's but, times uh, though, like when I get messages like that in my inbox and I'm literally like, you have to test it for yourself. Like I can't uh, give you all of the answers, you know? And yeah. that's the hardest thing is, I mean, people, right? Lives are crazy and they're busy. And for the average person who's just shooting a bow for fun, like they don't have the time to tinker with stuff like we do. So I yeah. totally get them reaching out and asking questions, but there are certain things that we just can't, you just can't give someone or tell someone like it really is set up specific, drawing specific, yeah. bow cam specific. There's so many factors that play into that. Yeah, and and even you tough. and I, yeah. Our specs are so different. Stuff works differently, you know? Absolutely. You know, you look at Alexis Riz. I, you know, I, I you know, and Mel said she, she told me one day she was shooting like six or eight pounds of holding weight. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how does she do that? You know? And so, you know, it's just, you, you got to know the good, bad, and the ugly. You got to understand if I'm going to shoot a shot that's really long and I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for a long time, that bow's probably going to have to be lighter because I got to stay with it more. If you're a guy like Kyle and me where you're timing the shot and you're you're fighting it and, and, and you've got to learn that I need the arrow out of the bow quick, I need a slow sight picture, and that's going to, you know, I need it settle faster. So that requires a heavier setup. So you have to learn all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff online. The real technical stuff, the real stuff that is a differentiation between pro and amateur, that gets tougher. And even like I've been dinking around with air rifles and stuff and for the last four or five years kind of as a hobby. And you can't find the good information until you get into the competitions and you start talking to the guys. And then you start like understanding that they've paid their dues and you haven't, you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, and there's just, it, it just takes a lot of years and you got to love it. I tell yeah. people it took me 20 years to win my first pro tournament. Do you have that kind of mindset? You don't need to now. There's so much information out there. I mean, I pretty much, you go to Gold Tips YouTube channel, there's videos there. There's, uh, I mean, I got 11 video tuning series on every single thing that I do and know about tuning. And it's not yeah. that hard. You can do it, you know? Yeah. But I, I grew I, up I'm an open book too. I mean, everyone always says like, oh, aren't you worried if you share all your secrets, like people are going to start beating you? And I was like, well, if they do, that's my freaking problem, right? Then I better practice harder, work on my more improve my mental game like if i tell someone how to set their bow up and they start beating me then that's on me you know yeah. um it is different like when i was coming up i mean social media wasn't a thing right like i'm not that old but like when i was trying to learn all of this stuff we didn't have that we got the archery magazine you know every month or whatever right. and that's what you looked at and so same thing i mean we had to figure stuff out on our own and I really think that's what makes me so dominant now. Like my understanding for the bows and the system and how it works and what gives me, like when I use the term forgiveness, I use that all the time. And it's so crazy to me that people are like, well, what's forgiveness? Well, what do you mean by forgiveness? Well, what do you, and it's like, how do you not, how are you shooting a bow? And that's like not what you're tuning for. You know what I mean? Like forgiveness is everything. And I'm like, all my good shots should hit the middle. But when I make a shit shot, is it still going to hit or is it going to miss? Like that's forgiveness. Like I need my bad ones or my mediocre ones to still be there or I'm going to lose. Right. And I think it was, you know, like you said, putting in the time, put, paying your dues, learning everything. Um, I don't want to say by myself because I did have help, right? Like my dad helped me. The boat, the guys at the boat rack helped me. Like other pros would help me. Like I had help, but at the end of the day, I, there was never anybody like I shot an arrow and I turned around and was like, how was that? I was the person that was analyzing what that looked like. And then the same thing, you know, it's like, I made a change. Is it better? Is it worse? I made that decision for myself. I wasn't asking somebody else. And I yeah. think, I think we need more of that in the next generation. I mean, we've got some really heavy hitters coming up. You look at Bodie, you look at Lico, you look at some of these other people and they're phenomenal. But yeah. I want to see people coming up with like the sustainability of like, learning their own equipment, like understanding how to work on stuff and what's going to make them great. And if they have a bad weekend, like not getting frustrated and being able to go back to the drawing board and make those changes that will make them better for the following weekend. And you have to understand everything to do that. And you have to understand all of that to bring value to yourself, to your brand and to the companies that you're hoping to represent. And I think all that stuff kind of works hand in hand. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's go. I think we pretty much covered that topic as much as we possibly can. It's just, you know, you can't teach desire to anybody. You have it or you don't. You know, see, you can see a lot of guys like that. You know, I got, 
this guy's out here, even out West where, you know, site tapes are a massive deal and they're still relying on a dealer to print them site tapes. This ain't that freaking hard. You know, it's like yeah. a site right. tape program is very easy to navigate. I mean, we run them with, with like guns and stuff too, but guns are different because most of it's in your computer. I know you use your phone a lot, but that's, yeah. that's you know, but, but that's not even for a tape. That's just for marks on my target bow. I still use yeah. like a normal, like Archer's Advantage, and I print a tape for my hunting bow and put that yeah, on for, this, like, yeah, my the, spider. Yeah, the phone's not practical, right? Yeah. You know, there's well, times the phone where... doesn't actually give you a tape. And on a hunting site, they don't have the clicks on the back to even run the phone, right? There isn't the normal mark program. You have to run a tape. So, I mean, I do it different. Like I said, I adapt depending on what I'm doing and what the circumstances call sure. for. And having a wide repertoire makes a big difference, you know, knowing how to solve a problem. If you get to a, I think what, the two greatest inventions to archery are the art or the rangefinder, And then the second is the archer's advantage program, which, yeah. you know, allowed us to basically solve the sight tape problem because it used to take me, used to take me like three or four days to get a sight tape. I mean, one that I just loved. And that, at that point, I didn't even realize that when I went somewhere else, it was going to be different. So we used to crank yeah. our poundage. We used to crank our poundage our up and down to to get our sight tapes back back in the day. So, yeah. um, and <laughs> you know, it was totally different because the amount of time it took. You know, and I could literally go to the. I could if it was crunch time and I needed marks in a hot minute. I could have it done in ten to fifteen minutes. Sure. Literally. Yeah. Shoot a short along and you, you know how to yeah. run your program and trust it. And, mm -hmm. and I see that's one of the big failure points in, especially women shooters is they need to learn how okay. to do that kind of stuff. Side note, I made like a little video thing when I was using the archer's mark. Cause when I started shooting ASA, ASA is just different people, you know, like I grew up with the NFA crowd and then the FIDA crowd and ASA it's like, they're in their own little bubble. I feel like if that makes sense. And so I went in there, I was using my phone and whatever else. They're like, what are you doing? Like, what program are you using? And people that I thought should know, like none of them knew. And so that was one of the most asked questions I got at ASA, which is why I actually made that video. Cause at NFA, I see people do it all the time, right? They know. Yeah, the ASA, I... everyone was like, what, is, what are you doing? So I posted yeah. the video on how I get marks and what I'm using and all this stuff. And the amount of people that were like, oh, my God, that's so much easier than what I've been doing or why haven't I used this? Then I started seeing more people use it. And it's like that is one of the best like inventions that you can use for archery that makes it so easy. And, and as much as I tinker with stuff, if I had to go do what you do and shoot in every five yards back in the day, you could well, never no, play no. this stuff like we do now. What I do is I carry sight tapes because I think you're psychotic using a phone, but um, I know you do. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I, I say that because I've the first year I ever the sight tape programs came out, I ran the actual sight marks, right? So I'm out this on a field, I... I'm out on a field course in our state field. I made all kinds of mistakes. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. And I've <laughs> never done it again. I will never. But I've still seen you set your sight wrong a handful of times off of yeah, you know, that, that, that happens. You know, be, yeah. careful, be careful of the karma. So here's my secret. This is what I do. I do both. So I have a sight tape on there that's going to be really close. Like, let's say I make a minor change. Like I move my rest or I whatever. I don't know. Um, I can bump the indicator on that sight tape. So the sight tape is going to be really close to my foot per second, which hopefully isn't going to change. And then the marks on the back are like something I can fine tune and really play with. So let's say I go to an ASA and I want to change lenses, right? Changes my marks a little bit. Maybe I change lens powers, whatever I recite in. I will check, like when I set my marks, I set it off my mark sheet. So let's say it's 45 yards and 45 is 52.65 on the back of my site. I'll set it on 52. I look at 6.5. Then I flip it around and I look to make sure I'm set at 45 on my site tape. So I do both. Well, so that way, like, yeah. I, I hopefully misset it less. And anytime I've ever misset my sight, I never flipped and looked at my sight tape. And and it's like I went all brain dead at once. And yep. then I miss. And I'm like, dude, I had a double check system. And I just didn't double check it. And then I miss. Like, that's what, that that's is what, all on me. Yeah, that's when that happens. And you have to create a shot routine. I have a shot routine in ASA and, and IBO where I never set my bow down until I get to the next target, range it and set my sight or judge it, prejudge it and set my sight. And that has yeah. kept me out of trouble for a lot of years. So, but it all comes from failure. You know, you come, you fail. So you create a scenario where you don't do it no more. You know, I tell people when they shoot field archery to approach the stake with fear, you know, fear it, fear what can happen there. What could I screw up and then run a program through your mind 
what I'm going to do before I even step to the stake. And and, you, and to clarify, guys, he doesn't mean like you're shot. He means like shooting from the wrong stake, shooting stakes out of order, yeah, stuff like that. Things that will destroy your before. weekend. Yeah. So, well, let's move on. We're kind of halfway through this. And, uh, you know, you just got back from Africa. Um, you know, you killed a big red stag in New Zealand. You've shot a Cape Buffalo with a bow. You've shot a lion. A lion. You've yeah. shot, you just shot what? A, a, uh, Giraffe. Giraffe, which is, yeah. from what I understand, one of the hardest animals to penetrate with a bow. And there's only certain places they, that you can take them. So go ahead and go through. Are. I mean, you're, what, what poundage do you hunt with? Okay, so it's your normal deer hunting, pig, 60 whatever. 60 pounds? Yep. What's your draw length? 27 and a half. Wow. That's Between 27 and 27 and a half. So you have massive energy then. So, so what's your normal hunt narrow weight? So I actually just switched it up. So I was shooting um, the Black Eagle Rampages in a 400 spine. My total arrow weight was 340 grains. And I was having a little bit of penetration problems. So let me just say, I'm not one of those people, like I'm not out there calculating my FOC. I'm not one of those 700 grain arrows, the way to go on freaking whitetail type person. I'm not. Um, you don't need that. I've proven that by killing all sorts of shit with 340 grain arrows. So the last three trips to Africa... I used the 340 grain arrow. I've been using that here, antelope, the whole nine, deer, whatever. Bears had no problems. But in a sticky situation, I was – there's an alarm that keeps going off. Um, I did have some penetration problems. So for this hunt, I decided, okay, I want to try some different arrows. So I switched to the X impacts, so a smaller diameter arrow. Um, I changed my arrow weight overall, so I'm using their focus system. Um, which really stiffens up the end of the arrow. I used to break a lot of arrows. And let me tell you, I didn't break like anything on this trip, which was really cool. But my total arrow weight ended up at 390 grains instead of 340. And I only lost, I mean, let's say 10 to 12 feet per second. I mean, like I did lose a little bit of speed. So what's, but, your, what's your hunting speed on the two setups? Um, so I was shooting. So here's the hard part. It was two different bows. So I can't exactly tell yeah, you the comparison. Yes, but um, on the heavier arrows, so the 390, I was shooting um, 268, and the other ones I was shooting right around 280. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. and, and my penetration this trip was so much better. Like I could, I could actually see a very, very visible difference. And so same I was like, okay, cool. The same broadhead. Yep. Because I believe the broadhead's a pretty big, uh, huge factor. Thing, yeah. So. No. So I shoot the Evolution Broadheads, Evolution Outdoors, and they have the Jekyll and the Hyde. So they have a fixed blade and expandable. And um, on any of the big animals, I tend to use a fixed blade. And then any of the small stuff, I'd use an expandable. But every animal I shot this trip, excluding the giraffe and one I haven't even posted yet, I'll, I'll tell you about on here. I don't even care. I had to shoot a buffalo um, by surprise. Uh I was using the expandables on almost everything. The only animal I shot with normal, normal setup, normal bow that I used a fixed blade was the roan. And I didn't need to, I could have used the expandable and I still would have been totally fine. So before I used the fixed blade on almost everything and I still had a little bit more penetration problems, switching that up, smaller arrow diameter, a little bit heavier arrow and Holy cow. Like I could use an expandable on everything. It was still getting better penetration than before. So it was an interesting test. I mean, I started, Back in the day, I shot 319 grains, then I shot 420, then I went to 340, now I'm at 390. So, I mean, I've tested all different things of the spectrum and shot a lot of animals with each setup before I changed to really gauge what I think is going to be the best for me. And I'm probably going to stay right where I'm at finally. Yeah, you know you know a guy named Jim Bath? You know Jim? I've heard of him, but I don't know him. Jim's an older no. guy. He's probably got to be close to 80s out of manhattan kansas killed a lot of giant deer with a bow and you know there was one of the guys that hangs out with him he come to me at internationals and you know what he do you know what those guys are shooting for arrow setups no and jim's been doing this for 30 years and he's killed some massive white tails and his whole premise was is they jump in the string i gotta get him i gotta shoot faster mm -hmm. so you know 30 years ago he's still shooting 340 foot a second he's shooting a 280 grain arrow with a 55 grain rocket glue and that'll spin some people's heads won't it and he's getting what? yeah and he's getting complete passers you know and so i passed clear through an elk it was a spike it wasn't like a big branch bull or anything yeah, but, but still an elk 69 yards with wow. a 319 grain arrow that's impressive 
Yeah, I mean, if, it's, if you can do that with that setup, and then you yeah. can't kill a white tail at twenty yards. It's got to be your shot placement, right? It like, is it mostly shot placement? People are always looking for something to blame. You know, if you're, I always say, if you're really, and I do like that head that you're shooting a lot. It's one of my, uh, it's one of my recommended heads is the Bloodsport Night Fury, which is basically designed by the same guy. Um, it's just, it's just a version of it, but it's a very uh, accurate head. First and foremost, it flies as close to a field point as anything I've ever seen. And, and I can switch between the two. Like I broadhead tune all my hunting bows. That's like such a big deal to me. And so I can switch between the fixed blade, the expandable, go shoot a field tip and practice at camp. And like they all impact the same. Which yeah, is you good. probably have to run just a shade more, you know, vain because you're shooting a fixed blade. And, and yep. you know, I always encourage people, do you shoot four fletch for hunting or? I do. Um, I didn't used to. And I had never really experienced where I didn't have enough vein on my arrow. Last year, I think it was last year, the year before, whatever, one of the two, antelope hunting in Montana. I wanted to try the AE, the hybrid 23s, and I always shoot a 26 and a three fletch. I was like, I want to try the 23s and a four fletch. And I tried that, and I was trying to broadhead tune my bow, and my broadheads, I'd like shoot field tips in a group, and my broadhead would be like, way here, way here, way here. And Tate's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, like something isn't right my broadheads aren't reacting how they should. This is so weird. So we we stripped a couple arrows and we went and we just four-fletched to 26 really quick because that would be – I'd always shot three-fletched 26 and it was fine. So we said, if it's a vein thing, this is absolutely going to be more vein than we need. Let's just try it. Went out. Broadheads were hitting exactly with the field tips. I could That made sense. Yeah. You know, I could broadhead tune them. And I, that was the first time in my entire life that I had actually had an arrow that I saw – what could happen if you were underveined? And it was eye-opening to me. So yeah. now I am shooting four fletch for hunting. I just figured I do shoot fixed blades sometimes, and I wanted to be able to go back and forth with confidence and not have to worry about it. Um, right. I did test a new vein this hunt. So AAE is going to be launching a vein called the Air Razor. And I have a huge issue with – I had did have, I should say, a huge issue with animals jumping my string. Um, I posted a video earlier this year of a Sika deer that I shot in New Zealand at 35 yards. And I mean, it ducked so hard. I, I missed it completely. And like, I would have pinwheeled it. Um, I've had deer jump my string. I shot an Impala one time and for three times it did jumped and dropped my string, like crazy amounts of issues with that. Yeah, so going to Africa. To, yeah. Just to clarify, I don't think they're they're I don't think they're dropping the string. They're dropping the sound of the arrow coming at them. So that's what I was just going to say. So Going to Africa this time, I was like, oh, gosh, okay, I'm 12 feet per second slower. I don't know how this is going to go, but I was testing that new vein. And part of the the positives of that new vein are that it's supposed to be quieter. And I was like, well, I guess we'll see. So yeah. I did shoot two Impala that trip I haven't posted yet. Um, and, like, that little steam buck, I did post that and some other stuff that are typically known for, like, being string jumpers. And, yeah. dude – Every animal just stood there and took it. It was the craziest thing. I've never in my life had that happen on all of these animals. And I was like, holy shit. It was totally eye-opening. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going I'm into I'm going in December and I've got a a mountain reed buck on my hit list. And uh I, I've shot one of those. Those are jumpy little buggers. They yeah. are. They are. So we'll see. I I don't know if I want to rebuild my arrow setup just for that i just i'm gonna take one bow you're still fast enough even if your setup's loud yeah like, i don't, it, I don't think I it am. matters my, my last experience shooting at a mountain reed buck is he's standing there peeing and the, and the that guy or the hunters with me that professional hunter he's smoking a cigarette of course and uh i'm at full draw and it's over 90 and i'm like you think he's gonna jump the string he's like i don't know i said well he, maybe he's peeing so maybe that'll distract him i'm like yeah that thing was I mean, he was in a different. Even in the, he wasn't even in the zip code when the arrow got there. But I was yeah. running a two and a half inch four fletch. So one of the reasons I run the thorn broadhead with a very small vein is I've had, I feel like pretty good luck, you know, with them not jumping if they don't see. It. Like I had a whitetail last year that we were rattling from the ground, and he turned around, and looked at me right as I drew, and I probably should aim low because he ducked on me, and I took it, took him through the withers, but. um but yeah. as a rule, I try to I try to make really quiet setups like that. So yeah, I so, hadn't like I'd never really tested. I always just shot like the hybrids or the max delts, and I didn't really play with it. And and like I said, part of these are like, hey, they're a little bit stiffer. They're going to be a little bit quieter. Like go try it yeah. out. And and there's no way like I did shoot enough animals on this trip. It wasn't just like I shot one and went, oh, he didn't duck. Like I got lucky. Like no, I shot a pile of animals, and not one animal 
like ducked. And I was like, mm. holy cow. Cause normally they all do. I mean, I've been yeah. to Africa. That's my fifth trip. So it's oh. not like, again, I haven't done this enough on a lot of the same species and different stuff to kind of know what to expect. It was a drastic difference. So I was pretty excited. My arrows were great. They were super strong. I didn't break arrows. Penetration was good. Broadheads did their job. Like I had a really good trip. Uh, and that's one awesome. of the things, you know, when, when you're, when you're fletching arrows, you don't want to put, I think four fletch actually works better and you don't need to put as much helical on them. And the helical is actually what causes a lot of the noise. And yeah, if you can correct. straight, if you can straight offset a four fletch, you basically have a, a larger parachute. So when you make a bad shot, it straightens back and gets the back of the arrow back in line with the front. So it can't take off. You know, the reason you see variation in broadheads is because you're probably seeing variations either in your shooting form and, or your arrows. So, you know, if you're a viewer of this and you, you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, go to gold tips, YouTube channel. There's a 11 video tuning series on there. One of them is called dynamic spine tuning. One of them is called broadhead tuning. And that's going to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when in terms of all arrows are not created equal. Guys call me all the time. They got, well, I've tuned it. And, and, I'm, and I'm seeing a kick at 40 yards. I'm like, did you tune every single arrow? And I just don't understand what I'm saying is that all arrows are not created equal. Now, I have a 33 and a half inch draw length, and I promise you all arrows are not created equal. It's Your stuff magnifies problems a lot more than like someone yeah. at my draw length, for sure. Yeah, and, and I agree, but you still have to have a process. Just like in, you know, when, when you get your setup ready for a tournament, you have to have a process to eliminate variables, to eliminate flyers. When I pull an arrow out of the quiver, in a hunting situation, I don't want surprises. The reason I love my thorn broadheads and the broadhead say you're shooting is that I it's a lot easier to test the variables. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot easier to test your setup and make sure that in hunt mode, there's no surprises. So yeah. So let's talk draft setup because that's totally uh, different. Yeah, so I just talk, talked about my normal setup. Let's talk you so, draft buffalo. Yeah. Those are so, big animals. So let me just say the the buffalo this trip. I hunted a Cape Buffalo last trip, two trips ago, and everything was it was a normal hunt, normal buffalo, huge bodied buffalo. And I shot it, one arrow penetrated the label, it ran off and died. It was a really cool experience. This time, um, there was a fire that went through and the buffalo had, was severely burned. The neighbors had seen it, and so we were going out basically just to kind of finish it off, like it was really hurting. And when we found it, I mean, it was on its last leg. So I basically shot it just to put it out of its misery and like end its suffering. It wasn't, you know, like a normal scenario. Um, but I was able to do that because I had the draft bow there and the draft set up, which allowed me to get the penetration that we needed to do that. Um, so I was using a deep impact arrow. So just a heavier arrow um, as is. Normally my arrow length is around 26, 26 and a half. I'm running those at 29. Um, so they're a little bit longer just to give me a little bit more weight. Also, I'm running a 300 spine. And normally my actual arrows that perfectly broadhead tune out are 400 spine. So leaving that a little bit longer helps kind of for forgiveness stuff when I've played with that. Um, but I was also using like a heavy outsert. I can't think of the exact grains of that. But the total arrow weight was 710 grains. Oh, and God. yes. So when I shot the buffalo it, the first time, it was only six. 656, 660, something around there. It was close to 700, but it was just shy. This time my goal was get to 700. I did, I was at 710. Um, and I, when I shot the Buffalo before, I cranked my bow up to like 65 pounds. And I mean, I could shoot it fine, but I couldn't just stand out there and shoot like a whole bunch of arrows through it. Like it was kind of hurting me a little bit. So this time I set up the SR350 and I ran it in performance mode. And so I actually was getting more speed out of it, just switching it to performance mode than I was like adding two twists, two turns on the poundage. So to me, I was like, well, I'd rather leave it set at a poundage that's not going to hurt me because I'm always worried with my hunting stuff. Like I could push it more. I could shoot 65 or more. I really could. But I don't want to injure myself and then screw up my job on the target side, right? Because I've got a bad shoulder. I've got a bad elbow. So I really try to play that safe. And so by switching it into performance mode, I was able to like leave two turns that I would have put in it off of it and put me at the same speed. And right. um, so that I was only shooting 215 feet per second with that do, arrow. I actually do the opposite. I put it comfort mode and add more poundage to get the speed back. Yeah. See, <laughs> rather... mine just worked out. For whatever reason, I was really struggling strength-wise when it was in comfort to start it. 
Um, I put it in performance and I was actually pulling it back easier, which is super strange. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do that. That sounds good. But it's it's funny. I shot that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I said, I'm sure it's different at your drawing to my drawing. The two different cams are totally different. So. Yeah, they feel totally different. I do know that. So I was kind of laughing. I posted that draft video and you see my arrow like like way up by his head. And then it comes back down, poof, and hits him right in the chest. I saw a couple comments and people were like, well, you shot him in the neck. How's that going to kill him? And it's like, no, it, it literally dropped so fast it hit him in the chest. But you see the arc like way the heck high and way low because it was so slow. But um, it got the job done. I mean, it was fine. I think I could have been anywhere 650 grains. I think it still would have worked. Like, that was fine. Yeah, just you kind know, of where it landed, that I, it worked. Yeah. I have a good buddy, Steve Cobreen, that is ultra experienced in bow hunting in, in Africa. And he says, Buffalo, because we were talking, because I'm actually going hunting in December with his best friend. Okay. Um, so it's going to be a good experience. Oh, cool. I'm taking a couple bows over for him, get him all lined out. I actually built him some a buffalo setup and a regular setup. And okay. I'm just putting cool. some weight tubes inside of a Chaos 200. He's a big guy like me, so he okay. needs a he's going to need a 200 spine arrow just to just to you know work. be stiff wow. enough at 75 pounds. And yeah, and Steve's See, like if hey. I could shoot 75 pounds, or even if I could shoot, yeah, oh yeah, big difference. I would yeah. never question any of these setups like for me the hard part is draw length is huge like so much energy comes from drawing so when you're 27 27 and a half like you're losing you're so far below what a guy's setup is normally going to be initially right. it kills you yeah and that's what's i mean. can't make that up in poundage i really that's can't like i can't pull enough poundage to make up what my draw length is lacking yeah so, that's what's interesting to get, to get your perspective on your side of it because even though there's a lot of other girls that have gone and killed stuff but they're sometimes pulling a lot more weight you know yeah. And I know Morgan went to Africa and killed a few animals and she was shooting about what you're doing, 60. He she yeah. might even she's pretty tough. She might have been shooting 65 on some stuff, but she's blowing through with, with thorn broadheads. I remember she shot a zebra at like 67. Yeah, she did good on the zebra. Yeah, and at 67 yards or something like that. And the guide was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, just they're not used to seeing that kind of accuracy, especially out of, you know. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that for and as a negative, but there's just no, no, you're totally right. I mean, you know, you know, they're used to have even a lot of men. They're just they're really like sketchy archers. You know, they may come hunting, but their their archery skills are not great. Well, there's different between shooting tournaments and hunting. I know a lot of people that shoot damn good at tournaments and they just don't hunt well, or vice versa. You know, people that just get like get it done in the moment hunting and maybe they're not the best at tournaments. Like, you yeah, never they, know. It's a little yeah, bit they, different skill set. They, yeah. They tend to figure it out though. I think uh, it's just experience, you know, you just, yeah. whenever you value something so much, that's where the pressure comes from. You know, whenever yeah. you, you know, when you've done it a hundred thousand times, like I had a conversation with Jim Burnworth, he's shot so many animals. He just doesn't get nothing out of it anymore. You know, it's just like, See, no yeah, problem. I don't have that yet. Yeah, no, I think I'm that's really- why I love it so much. Cause I get all hyped like tournaments. I've trained so hard to be so calm and so whatever. And, Sounds bad, but like it used to be when I'd go win a tournament, I was like so happy and all these emotions. And now I expect to win and I'm just pissed if I don't. So the feelings are a lot different, right? Hunting, I still have that adrenaline rush and that, you know, crazy happy and all that. So it's kind of cool. But I did switch uh, broadheads. I didn't say that for the. Yeah, I was going to ask you my next question. Yeah. What is, yeah. What's, your, what's your giraffe and broadhead? What's your giraffe? So the first broadhead? time I shot a buffalo, I shot an iron will. And then this time okay. I actually shot a kudu point. Um, I'm going to stick with the kudu points for those bigger animals. So over there, like the guides and the people, they won't even let you shoot anything but a two blade on those big animals. Right. For penetrating I, purposes. I, I think that's, I actually think that's smart. I mean, I do. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing. Um, I was having a discussion with someone while I was over there and like, well, you could shoot the other ones. And it's like, why would I want to risk it? Like, I don't want to wound something. I don't want to shoot something. And like, right. no, well, man, if I had done a two blade, maybe I would have got the penetration. I want to do everything I possibly can in my setup to know that if it doesn't work, I couldn't have done more, if that makes sense. Right. So the iron will worked good um, on the buff the first time. The giraffe and the buffalo I shot this time, the amount of blood that like the second I hit it, and if you take that full video in like slow mode on the giraffe, I mean, you just see it just freaking pumping. Like, oh, it was you insane. Him. You hit him in the heart, though, right? I did, yeah, and the buffalo, too. But, um, I mean, it was heart. still crazy. It's probably a big heart, right? 
I have a photo. I'll post it. It's like the whole size of my like chest head area, which is not tiny. It is the, I'll send it to you as soon as we're off of here. You're going to like, you won't even believe it. I, when they pulled the heart out, I'm like, what is that? Like, there's no way that's a heart. So you got a quarter, we quarter of the heart to pack it up. <laughs> it was literally, it was crazy. You won't even believe it. But, um, the, the interesting thing and in how we approach this situation. So, you know how Africa has like their recommendations on what you're supposed to use or kinetic energy that they think you're supposed to have for penetration purposes. Giraffe is actually more than Buffalo. And so, you know, people are, why a giraffe? Why a giraffe? Well, part of it for me being a woman is being able to build a setup, like shoot good enough, wait for the perfect shot. And like, you know, everyone I've seen comments, that wasn't a hunt. It stood there and let you shoot it. Well, hello, I'm shooting a bow. Every animal I've ever shot with my bow at some point stood there to let me shoot it. But like, you don't know what happened before. So I actually had that giraffe at 48 yards for, I don't know, a while. And I chose not to shoot. There was like a crosswind and I knew my bow was so slow that it was not going to be great. And then it ran off. And so then we tried on foot like 15 different times. And it's like, okay, I would get within bow range, but then it wouldn't be quartered right. It would be broadside. It would run away. We would try again. So as an animal that high, like that, it sees so well to actually get it at a distance that I was comfortable with. I could only clear 50 yards. My bow was so slow when my pins were all spread out. I, I couldn't get more than 50 in my whole sight window. Um, so I had to be within 50 and actually have it frontal and stand there long enough for me to shoot it, not have wind. Like there was a lot of scenarios that we uh weighed into that because if i was going to make that shot i wanted to again like no okay i did everything i could so after a few hours of cat and mouse messing around lost it once found it again tried all this stuff finally it stood there and let me take that shot and um frontal there a lot of people are against frontal shots but when you start shooting big game stuff you'll quickly learn that that really is if you are yeah. penetration or energy insufficient um that's a really efficient shot there's no rib cage the giraffe ribs are like as thick as this part of my hand. That's what I've heard. I've heard, you know, one of the guys I used to work with, his sister shot a giraffe with a rifle and he went and shot it with the Grim Reaper and it just like bounced off. Yes. You know, it's insane. So they, I knew like I probably won't get through that rib cage. And the buffalo, I did shoot broadside. I did get through the rib cage, but I didn't like hit a rib and then go through the rib. What'll happen on the Buffalo is like, they kind of hope you hit a rib and you almost like glance between the two ribs. Otherwise you're just not going to get shit for penetration with the giraffe. I wasn't taking that chance. And so, I mean, we did, we waited for the front all everything worked. There's those humps on the front of them. And if, if you shoot, like I hit, it was quartered just a little bit. I shot a little bit left side and I hit maybe two, three inches left of where I, was trying to hit it but it kind of just funnels it like straight into that chest cavity and um i hit it right in the heart you can see the arrow slit in the picture i'll send you and i will post that i just haven't got around to it yet but yeah. it was pretty cool and so buffalo i was gonna try a frontal as well and um they stand sometimes with their head like down and then they'll like lift and when they lift like that's your shot window and the day I tried to shoot him that way, it was so windy. He lifted. I was at 25 yards and I was blowing like all the way off the Buffalo, like everywhere. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not going to risk a bad arrow in the wind and whatnot. So I ended up shooting that one out of a blind. And yeah, this one, I mean, it, it wasn't a hunt, right? It was like a mercy shooting, I guess I should say for the Buffalo. It was burned. It was bad. I have videos, photos. I'm going to post that too. But um, I shot, I shot it, made it all the way to the label. I mean, so that's kind of what you can hope for um, on a buffalo. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it, and if you're a guy and you can pull more poundage and run a heavier arrow, sure. I mean, I think these arrows I'm building for the guy I'm going with are they're going to end up around seven. Yeah, I, it'll be okay. perfect. Like it'll be totally fine. You know, he's a thirty-two and a half inch draw link, probably or thirty-two. So, and he's going to pull seventy-five pounds. So, yeah, holy cow! See, that's yeah. it's that's numbers that no matter what I did, I just I'll never come close. I could shoot eighty pounds, and I'm never yeah, going to get. He, he'll probably honestly, he'll probably still be. I'll bet he's still two hundred and seventy feet a second, two sixty-five. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think a lot of that challenge, I mean, when you've bow hunted, I mean, I've bow hunted a lot, you've bow hunted a shit ton, and you've shot so many deer and so many antelope and so many bears and pigs and all the different animals that, you know, I went to Africa, I shot a lot of the plains game, I shot a lion, like, they're not tough, you know, shooting a lion's no different than shooting a lot of the other animals we shoot, yeah. like, they don't need some crazy heavy arrow. The buffalo was the first thing I shot, and I actually went to Australia a couple of years before that and shot um, water buffalo, 
And they told me I had to build this crazy heavy setup with all this crazy shit. And it actually hurt me more than it helped me. My arrows at the time, I was not shooting Black Eagle. I was shooting for a different company. And they were so weak. I would like shoot something and the arrow would just disintegrate. And like the arrow would go through, but the broadhead would just come off. And that was happening even shooting their 3D targets. And it was like they just way overdid what I needed for my setup. So that kind of showed me a lot of like, man, some of these people take it way overboard. And it actually really hurt me on that trip. So for the first time when I shot the Buffalo, um, Reg and Rion were really good at like helping me, you know, pick a setup and build a setup. And I went there with a four blade broadhead. I went there with the big game head from Evolution and they took one look at it. They're like, you're not shooting that. We won't even let you. Like you have to shoot a two blade. They had some iron wheels to so use that. Yeah. So then this trip, Donnie was like, this is what we're going to do. Let's get to this. You can do it at this poundage, but we're going to, we're going to be patient. And we're either going to shoot a frontal or we won't shoot it. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm happy with that. Like that makes me feel more comfortable and it works. So, you know, part of it as a woman shooting some of those things is people, why a giraffe? Well, I mean, one, okay. Yeah, I did want to shoot a giraffe. I did. But two, also the challenge of waiting for the perfect shot placement, having to know that you can make the perfect shot and then doing it and then working ahead of time. I had two full bows, two full setups that I went there with and like working to build that setup, like hoping to have the confidence that it's going to work. Like that's a whole different challenge in itself. It's a different mental thing. Like when I'm sitting at 48 yards, like, I mean, a draft is huge, right? Like I know I can hit the target, but it's windy. And I'm like, these arrows are so slow. I know I'm going to drift. Yeah. And it might be too far. I'm not going to take the shot after it ran away in my mind. I'm like, what a loser. It was so close. And, and it wasn't that bad a wind. Why didn't I shoot it? But I'm telling you, like in my gut, I just had this feeling telling me like, don't do it. It's yeah. not right. You know, that's, and what, that's, on. One of, that's one of the most important skills as a bow hunter is knowing your own personal limitations, you know, mm -hmm. and people always try to put their own limitations on everybody else. And that's not the case, you know? So we've kind of, you know, cover this quite well. Let's keep moving on. We're, we're about finished up with the session. I want you to talk a little bit about how do women in the sport grow their value and influence so that they can command bigger sponsorships and, you know, be more valuable. We did cover that a little bit, but um, you've been really active on social media. And I think that's a big part of it nowadays. Um, a lot of sponsors look at your interaction, you know, I'm like anybody else. I sometimes would like to just crawl under a rock, but I do enjoy people, you know, using what I teach them and seeing them learn things and, and be excited about it. And I think it's important that we, you know, we teach the next generation because we don't really have a sport if there's only one or two dominant shooters, you know, it's, it's yeah. just, it's, we want a, a sport like golf where, it is a absolute slugfest and it means something to win. So cover that a little yeah. bit. Well, I just want to start off by saying, you know, on the first question, we said a whole bunch of, you know, you got to learn stuff yourself and you can only, there's only certain things we can teach you. Now on the other side of that, there's a lot of stuff that we can give you information or we can help you with that. You don't have to go through all the trial and error that we did. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that I try to post on social media. Like I can't go make a video saying, put your stabilizer weights like this and your bow's going to aim great. doesn't work like that, but I can tell you five different things to do on your setup. And then you can test those to try to see what aims better for your bow. So for me with social media, I really try to just share my secrets and they're not even secrets, right? It's just kind of stuff as I'm doing it. And that's the hard part too. If I didn't shoot full time, for a living, like that wasn't my job. And I was just like a social media content creator or something. The stuff that we could come up with and the amount of videos we could make would be sick. But normally I am so busy, like working on a setup and I'll be like, man, I haven't posted a video of this. Let me just take something really quick because I'm actively doing it and it makes me think about it. So that's kind of how a lot of my stuff gets made or gets shared. It's just, oh, that's what I'm doing in the moment. And I'll take a couple minutes and and well, I, I, think, I actually think those resonate well with people. Everybody gets all hung up on the fact that it's got to be done perfectly and it has to be edited perfectly and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that's yeah, true. I, think I just don't have the time. Yeah. And people that are looking for, you know, re re relatability yeah. and and just just content, they learn to trust, you know, that what you're saying and, and if you're doing it and showing them that's what you're doing, you know, a lot of yeah. people want a magic bullet and they have to understand there's no such thing as a magic bullet. There's there's a default setup, but I'm continually looking for improvements to default. You know, but yeah. at, any at any time, I know how to get back to default very quickly and, and you know, Go, head to, yeah. you know, exactly. head to a tournament. So, 
No, for sure. So let's talk about value when it comes to women and men. This applies to both. This is yeah. how I like to break it down in the sport currently. Back in the day, when I first started, it used to just be win tournaments. That's all that mattered. Make podiums, win tournaments, you got paid. Now things have changed and social media came into effect. So I think there's three things that really add value to a person. The first one is how you compete, how you place in tournaments, how consistent you are throughout the year, all those type things that we've seen for years. The second being social media, how you run your social media accounts, what you're doing, interactions, blah, blah, blah. The third one is how you interact with people at tournaments, at booths, at sports shows, and you know how, how you interact with people at events. So I think those are the three elements that like really key into yeah. it. And what's funny, I mean, we could sit down here and we're not going to, but if we did and we picked a couple people and broke that down, there's very yeah. few archers out there that check all three boxes. You're right. right? There's people that shoot You're a bow absolutely. really damn good and they can't talk to a person that their life depended on it or vice versa. And, right. you know, it it's interesting. So it is kind of hard to find all three. I mean, if you have that good, good on you, right, you're probably going to do pretty good in the industry. Um, but for from the women's standpoint, you know, we can run a social media like, this is going to sound horrible, but if you're a decent looking women, men are men and you can probably build a following pretty quick. That's one of those things that I've really tried to stay away from. Like you don't see me go post a lot of stuff that girls would normally use to gain a following. Like I want mine to be based off people respecting my knowledge, not respecting my girls parts. Right. Um, so it's yeah. kind of different because there's different elements of social media and how you want to run that as well. And sorry, I know it's, I mean, you're laughing, but it seriously is true. You know, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I so, see women with huge followings and I'm like, one sec, sorry, my phone is ringing in my back. I see women with huge followings and I'm like, you don't know a damn thing about a bow. Like I know yeah. why they're following you. Right. So I just didn't want to be that that person. Like I wanted it to be based off of like knowledge sure. and what I'm actually bringing to the table. But the biggest thing we already talked about is really just knowing your equipment, knowing the products. Like if I'm at a booth and I'm at a tournament and somebody walks up and says, Hey, I'm having a problem. Can you look at this? Or can you check? I want to be able to actually engage, actually help them carry a conversation, know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't want to be like, Oh, I don't know how to help you, but let me go grab some guy that can, can show you, you know, that's embarrassing. No. Like, I don't want to be that. So as a woman, we need to try harder than the guys do to check all three of those boxes because naturally we're just viewed as bringing less value because for years past we have, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. If we can step up to the plate, check all three of those boxes and freaking show up every day and work hard. I think we can be mm -hmm. equally as impactful in the industry and equally sure. as deserving, but you haven't seen a whole lot of women do that. Right. I just saw, and I won't name a name and throw her under the bus, but I saw um, a woman the other day literally say, I know absolutely nothing about my setup. I don't know how to set it up. Someone does it for me, but I know I shoot a Hoyt. What? Okay. Like, Okay, you're viewed as one of the more dominant women in the sport and you can't answer a basic question about any of your equipment or like any of your setup. And to me, you know what? I don't care. Good on you. You can shoot a bow well. But for women in the sport, I was like cringing. Like that is so embarrassing yeah. to me because I want to be better than that. Like I'd rather get my ass kicked, but at least know what I'm talking about and be able to work on my own equipment and help people and teach people than like, Oh, I hit the middle all the time, but I know nothing. And so, you know, I think, I think I said those, those three things yeah. Like we really, sure. need to and I, and, and, you know what it, it, you know, it, it's going to come a lot better from you than, than me. But, uh, yeah. you know, I always, you know, I always try to understand that everybody has a sphere of influence. Okay. Negative or positive. And so you got to be yeah. careful how you impact people. Um, negative is just as bad. So sometimes yeah. you just want to strangle people. Sometimes you just want to tell yeah. them, that, you know, they're morons, but you know, you got to be careful with all that stuff. And yeah. that's always been a little bit of a struggle. But I, I appreciate having you on page. We're going to wrap it up here. We kind of hit our hour time limit and I really appreciate you coming on being very candid with us. I think the viewership is really going to like, uh, you know, our conversation and, uh, I'm kind of in the, uh, the lull season, I usually take off from August till or the end of August. Now it's September, it seems like, you know, until, you know, somewhere about the next two or three weeks and yeah. I give my body a rest. And I think it's, you know, helped me, you know, not get injured over the years. And, you know, uh, so. are you going to any of the indoors? Do you know? 
I will probably go to Rushmore Rumble and, and Iowa Pro Am is, is what okay. I'm So I'm going to Kings and Luxembourg, the- which are a couple weeks. So I'm like really starting now that I'm back from Africa. It's gonna be like yeah, heavy, heavy arrow count days, grinding it out, fine-tuning. Yeah. Mine starts soon now. And I have to have 27s and 23s ready for that trip. So um, it's not just one setup. I got to have both ready to rock and roll. Well, as of yesterday, I'm in some extre- extenuating circumstances. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it is You'll what it is. Now. I mean, I want to bring people in like Owen Stronel from Australia who's killed 400 water buffalo over the bow. The guy's an authority, you know, instead of letting the internet be dictated by people that are not experts. Um, I want the experts to be exposed and I want the experts to give their opinions. So again, I appreciate I you having really it. If, uh, if, if you guys want to reach out to Paige on Instagram, she's readily available. I know she answers uh, a lot of her, you know, questions. And as I'm to- better on Instagram, Facebook, I get so much spam. I'm always behind. It kills me. So if you want an yeah. answer, Instagram's definitely the best place. Okay. And, you know, again, like we referenced in the video, you know, feel free to visit goldtip.com. Um, our YouTube channel has a lot of information in there on, on arrow setups. It's kind of, you know, cross pollinates the brands. It really doesn't matter. It's just a process, you know, that we teach to, uh, you know, help you understand arrow building and trying to pick the best for your setup. So with that, we're going to close. And uh, again, I appreciate you having on page and we'll see you yeah. on the tournament circuit. Thanks yeah. guys. Hey, before you go, there's a great way to get even more info and tips. Follow this podcast and check out Gold Tip on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. And as always, start tough and stay true.